Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. So I wanted to see if I could make a case that had different design trade-offs compared to the other cases on the market. So I said, let me create a case that makes different design trade-offs to currently what's there. So one thing you'll notice is that it offers you to not just type in landscape mode, but also portrait mode. There's actually a stand that's built in. I made the cutout so that you could take the iPad out, rotate it, and type as if you're typing on a piece of paper. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. I'm excited to share with you today the very first in-person interview I've conducted for the show. For the past two weeks, I've been using the TouchType Pro keyboard case with the loaner third-generation 11-inch iPad Pro. In just a few minutes, you'll hear from the creator, Solomon Sajid. Before we dive into the interview, I wanted to share just a few thoughts on both the third-gen iPad Pro and the TouchType Pro. First off, on the iPad. The biggest revelation to me was just how great Face ID is when using it to unlock your password keychain in Safari. That was the moment for me that Face ID really made me say, wow, this really is a beneficial change and something that is really freaking great. Next up was just the sensation of holding the iPad in my hand without a case. That reminded me so much of the original 2010 iPad. It's the first time we've had flat edges since that original design, and holding it in your hand really does remind you of that feeling. And just for fun, I grabbed that old iPad and compared the two side by side, and yeah, they felt almost identical outside of a little bulge in the original one with the curve that was kind of built into it. I'm still not sure if I prefer the feeling of the second generation Pro in my hand with those thinner edges, but they are very different experiences just holding them. The other thing I want to share is that I do like the gesture bar overall, but wish some applications gave you a bit more control over it. The biggest disappointment for me was how distracting it was when using Apple Books. When all I want to do is focus on my book and read, that gesture bar shows up every time you turn the page. I can't imagine a more irritating implementation than what they chose to do for Apple Books and I'm sure the Kindle app as well. So... I would just really appreciate and love if in iOS 13 there was some option for applications to have the gesture bar remain more hidden, more so than it is right now. So those were my big takeaways from the third generation iPad Pro. I love that you can hold it in any orientation and there is no right or wrong way. In fact, I did get confused a little bit. Where is the sleep button? Oh, it's on the other side because I thought I was holding it the other way. And that was a really cool thing to experience. But those were my big takeaways from the third gen iPad Pro. There were some things much better than the second gen. Some things just different. Some things I didn't like as much. So there are a lot of trade-offs in deciding which iPad to opt for. Now, on to the TouchType case, which you can find at touchtypecase.com. And the Kickstarter is linked there as well. The Kickstarter does end Friday, May 17th at noon Eastern, so if you're listening to this episode, don't delay in reserving yours. Overall, I was really impressed with this case. I found it just as comfortable using it in my lap as my current smart keyboard setup with my iPad Pro. I loved having the Magic Keyboard be this portable. It's a great keyboard, and traveling with it is not always the best. Here's who I'd recommend this case for. If you are someone that wants to have a setup that works both for a desk and for traveling, then this solution is a good one. 
While traveling, you can use it in its traditional setup and even use the iPad Pro to charge the Magic Keyboard over USB-C. When you are at your desk, you can separate the keyboard from the case and have a bit more of an ergonomic desk setup without needing a different keyboard. And it really does disconnect just like you would a smart cover, which is a really cool thing. Another really nice thing about the touch type is when you close the smart cover lid down because of the magnets, the screen will actually turn off making sure there is no accidental input there. I'd encourage everyone to head on over to touchtypecase.com and clicking over to the Kickstarter to watch the video, which will give you a really good idea if you would enjoy this form factor. As mentioned in the interview, this isn't the lightest and thinnest solution out there, but if you are someone that really loves the Magic Keyboard, this is a great solution, and having it with you all the time is pretty awesome. As a reminder, you can support the podcast by leaving a review over at Apple Podcasts, or by heading over to patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, here's my interview with Salman Sagat. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Salman. Hi, thanks for having me, Tim. So I've had the opportunity to use your case for about two weeks now, and the new iPad, and thanks for letting me borrow both of those. Yeah, no problem. So can you first introduce yourself and kind of what got you into keyboard cases and that whole story? Yeah, so my name is Salman Sajid. I've been a user interface designer for over 20 years now. Back then, back in the 90s, like Apple was in a very dark place. I wasn't so much into sports, so Apple became my underdog that I yeah, would sure. follow. You know? <laughs> so I saw them make decision by decision, you know, jobs came back and start turning things around. By the time the iPhone hit, Mm-hmm. and the home runs that were coming out, I desperately wanted to be a part of that world. Yeah. I said somehow, I, you know, I want to participate in this, in this revival. Then the iPad came out. And you'll note in the keynote, Jobs never mentions it can connect to a Bluetooth keyboard. Right. That was something that everyone learned on launch day. Yeah. And fortunately, I was able to pick up the first generation iPad on launch day. A lot of blogs are talking about it can connect to an external keyboard. And I thought to myself, huh, so what's to keep this from being like a laptop. Well, you need some way to combine a keyboard, a Bluetooth keyboard, to the iPad. And I said, let me focus on the Apple wireless keyboard. Sure. So that same weekend, I went to the local pharmacy, got some poster board, some duct tape, and made a prototype. And this was in the days where the Apple wireless keyboard was a little bit thicker. It had this like rounded kind of battery barrel to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So it had a slightly different uh, form factor, but the idea was the same. Yeah. Was that since it's a touch device, you didn't necessarily want to have it where the keyboard would fold on top of the screen, especially since these were hard plastics, that um, it could potentially damage it. So I said, let's do something different. Let's put the keyboard behind the iPad. The rest was pretty easy. You just you know create a wraparound cover, and it gives you many abilities as well as using your lap you can do in multiple angles that's how the touch type case was born so that was the original ipad how has that design kind of changed over the years and how have you refined it to what it is now for the new third generation pros yeah so that was my main core idea Mm -hmm. and i knew to do it properly i really needed to invest in plastics to really create a nice sleek shell for it that could connect together but as being just a single guy, doesn't know this world at all, no real capital you know, to, to speak of, I decided to take a what's called like a minimal viable product approach where I uh, created a sleeve for the keyboard where it would slide behind the iPad rather than flip behind the iPad. Yeah. It didn't involve plastics, could make it, get it made relatively cheaply well with less capital. So I focused on that. 
and launched it on Kickstarter in 2012. Okay. And I was honestly a little bit surprised by the, you know, the reaction. Like to me, it was just like a little experiment, but there was a lot of positive press coverage. Even afterwards, the backers, once they got it in their hands, they said it, it changed the way I use my iPad. Mm-hmm. In that span of time from 2010 to 2012, other keyboard cases came out, but they were the more traditional laptop style. Sure. And since the iPad was narrower than a full-size keyboard, the mm-hmm. keyboards were also narrow to accommodate. Yeah. Yep. And that's what really killed me was that, look, this is supposed to be the future of computing. Let's not slot netbook keyboards on. Right. So this is the future is where your hands are cramped and your typing speeds are compromised, right? Yeah. It's not like our hands magically shrunk when the iPad was announced. Mm-hmm. So why did our keyboards? Yeah. Right? So that thought stuck with me. Right. That if you really wanted to use the iPad for a work device, then put a work-grade keyboard on it. And thankfully, iPads have grown a little bit over the years. And you have yeah. the 12.9 that's like a perfect fit for the right. Magic Keyboard. Right. Exactly. So yeah, now, thankfully, I mean, fast forward to now, the uh, 12.9 because they shaved off the the chins mm-hmm, <laughs> the, yeah. the latest versions. I was just really pleasantly surprised to see that there's no overhang and it just looks like they're meant to go together. Yeah. So what's your relationship with keyboards? Have you been a clicky-clicky keyboard person? Do you like Apple's keyboards mostly? Or yeah. what's your experience with all that? Yeah. So I wouldn't consider myself a keyboard connoisseur, but more around what's the best keyboard that enables me to translate the intent in my head, on the screen in the most efficient way possible. Yeah. So for me, the Magic Keyboard really hits that sweet spot. Right. Because it's just enough travel. It's not too much travel and it's not too little. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and we see examples on both sides, right? Yeah. You have the Apple's latest laptops that are, I think, a little bit too little travel. Yeah. And it has enough tactile feedback so I feel that, okay, I've pressed that key and I can move on. Yeah. So I don't really foresee like you know how much more. To me, it's it's the pinnacle. I I can't expect. I don't. I've I've seen both extremes, and I don't expect moving away from the Apple Magic Keyboard anytime soon. Yeah, it'll be curious the future of keyboards with Apple. If yeah. They'll just do your next laptop's just two uh, screens in the bottom. <laughs> right. Screens, uh, yeah. A keyboard some, down there. Some sci-fi <laughs> movie. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the back to like the best keyboard for the job. In some cases, you just want a number pad to do input right. for. Um, exactly in music composition that'd yeah. be um you know four equals a quarter note when you have a mini keyboard that's right too, and yeah because the these keyboards remember they're not the end in themselves right right they're meant to serve a purpose yeah. right i mean if you want otherwise play an instrument you know because that's that's what you're doing <laughs> yeah but, but here it's just to do a job and to interact with the device so your design priorities with this case obviously involved magic keyboard right. what else were you considering when making this right so another thing was that i looked at how the ipad was designed. Mm-hmm. The iPad was meant to be versatile. Yeah. Everything from its orientations to from even like you know the the, the software and the and how it kind of adapts to you. Especially this iPad, the third gen where right. in using this, uh, this is for some me using the 11 yeah. inch iPad. Yeah. Many times I was holding it in one orientation and I couldn't find the sleep button because it was on the bottom. Right. Because it does such a good job. To, uh, this right. fooling you because it doesn't matter anymore. You forget about yeah. it. Yeah, and I love that. So I wanted to see if I could make a case that had different design trade-offs compared to the other cases on the mm-hmm. market, yep. right? Because my bet was that the iPad is a, is a large market right now and it's actually a growing market. Right. When you have a growing market, you have different people who have different needs with different trade-offs. Yeah. So 
I said, let me create a case that makes different design trade-offs to currently what's there. So mm-hmm. one thing you'll notice is that it offers you to not just type in landscape mode, right. but also portrait mode. There's actually a stand that's built in. I, I made the cutout so that you could take the iPad out, rotate it, and type as if you're typing on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's very stable. I've tapped and the iPad doesn't fall exactly. or anything. It's- Exactly, you're right. You know, and that's not something that you can get with other cases right now. Yeah. The other aspect was if you're using your iPad, say, with a keyboard case, right? Mm -hmm. Then say you want to just do FaceTime or you want to watch a movie. Well, there's nothing, the keyboard, you can't do anything with the keyboard. It's kind of stuck there, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) (laughs) And look, it's staring at you while while you're trying to not think about work. Yeah. So with this case, you can actually flip the keyboard behind the iPad. Right. In those instances that you just want to focus on the iPad and just forget that it's even there. Or yank the keyboard off entirely. And that's the other one, right? You can you can even go a step further and actually detach the keyboard because there's magnets in the tray that connect the keyboard to the iPad so that you can actually pull them apart. Yeah, it feels like a smart cover how it connects. Right, exactly. Yeah. The same so actually there's actually alternating polarities of magnets in there so that they connect easily and they dis- same way they you tug on the side and it disconnects just as easily and this actually allows you to speak of versatility to work in different ways so some mm-hmm. people for ergonomic reasons want to put the screen a bit higher yeah if you can disconnect the keyboard with just a you know a quick tug then you can actually lift and put the ipad portion of the case on a stand yeah and continue working and then when it's time to go you connect them together and just put it in your bag and get going you can also you can get rid of wireless yes. and just plug in a That's lightning right. to USB-C uh, right. cable, which I have, and I tried this out. Right. And turned off Bluetooth, and the and iPad it, will talk and charge your uh, keyboard. Yeah. 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 So, again, it's all about the versatility, right? Mm-hmm. And my bet is, is that there's enough people out there in the world. Maybe majority of people will like Apple's solution. That's totally fine. But there must be enough people that say, hey, this, you know, their keyboard's too small, or I want to do more things with it. Well, then here's, here's one thing that they might uh, find useful. Yeah. And you do get access to the media keys, right. which can be pretty useful. Yeah. Another uh, design goal was to give a bit more protection mm-hmm. than is allowed, you know, than you see in, in most other cases. So that's why we've created a polycarbonate shell that protects mm-hmm. the corners. Yeah. Another thing I've seen is that, since, you know, finally Apple gave us a place to put the Apple Pencil. Yeah. Right? On the magnetically attaches on the side. But the problem is that when you're, you know, moving things around, it can easily knock off. And it's a, right. it's not an it's not a cheap. <laughs> yeah, you don't have you don't have the folio leather right. sleeve with the the place that <laughs> exactly. will be secure anymore. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I wanted to make sure that it offers some protection mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't fall off, and uh, even again protects the corner from dings and things yeah. such as that. The other design goal uh, was also like the looks. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I wanted it to look a bit different from the other iPad cases. Yeah, more in keeping what what a business folio would look like. Right. So you'd look at it, and you'd almost have to look twice again and say, "Oh, there's an iPad in there." Yeah. Something you feel proud of, like you know, bringing it into a meeting and kind of just popping it out and having everybody like, "Oh, wow!" You know, like is there? Yeah. <laughs> and the leather so does feel really nice. The sourcing materials. What yeah. was that process? So like? I, that's you know, that's it's interesting. Once you go into that this world of manufacturing. And then you ask your manufacturer, all right, so 
how do I choose the leather or the material? Yeah. They give you swatches and swatches. I mean, just books and books of swatches. Yeah. Right? So you make, take the swatches, you pick your favorites, then you show it to your friends, you show it to your wife. Yeah. You know? And you just winnow it down. For this one, you know, so we wanted to keep something uh, professional, but also a bit different. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's black, which is a very popular color. I mean, right. it goes with everything, obviously. Yeah. But it has a little bit of subtlety that you won't find in mm-hmm. other cases. And one is that there's a, almost like a, a brushed steel sheen that's yeah. kind of in it. Right. So that when you, you know, move it in the light, it kind mm-hmm. of reflects in a yeah. kind of almost metallic fashion. It's a vegan leather. It's not real leather. But this also allows it to be, you know, be cleaned easily if water gets on or anything gets on it. You can yeah. easily wipe it off. What do you expect for durability with the material? Yeah. So I'm really fortunate in that the manufacturer I'm working with is like one of the main manufacturers for some larger brands of iPad mm-hmm. cases yeah. uh, that are currently like in Best Buy and, you know, Walmart and I think even the Apple store. This materials that they've been using to make this case are the same ones that they've honed over years. Like even the uh, the resin or the uh, the adhesive mm-hmm. is applied with a hot glue melt process. And the actual, they're, they're telling me that it was, it's like a biodegradable, it's environmentally friendly, but yeah. also it's, it's, it's holds up secure. And they okay. haven't had any problems with any of the the other cases they've made in the same fashion. Okay. That said, this is a version 1.0 product. Right. right? <laughs> so, you know, Apple's version 1.0 products, they always have, you know, you, there's always things that could be better. Right. I'm just grateful that, you know, people like the idea enough to give it a try and hopefully from their feedback, it'll continue to improve. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so who do you see this case being for? You right. mentioned it's v- yeah. pretty versatile. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a really good question. So just like in anything in life, right? Everything has trade-offs and it's very difficult to have everything and give up nothing. Yeah. So if there was, say, for example, there's a target market like a, you know, like a dartboard, the bullseye for this case would be people who already love the Magic Keyboard and are already using the Magic Keyboard with their iPad Mm -hmm. because it allows them to take the same setup they have and do more with it. Yeah. Right. Now they can put it on their lap. Mm-hmm. Now they can adjust in multiple different angles. Yeah. I could see some people that love the Magic Keyboard using your case as almost like a commuter case to bring it to work. Exactly. Take it out of the case and one, put it on a stand. Right. Because it's now one yep. unit as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And then so, at, when they're at home, they can put it on their lap. And absolutely. All that. Yeah. 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 Because it, it, for them, I think it's a no brainer. My goal is not to convince other people who love, say, for example, the Apple keyboard or mm-hmm. even you know the bridge keyboard that hey this is a better solution for you i mean yeah. you know what's better for you you know you know how the way to work but if you even have the budget for say another case there's nothing that says that you can you're only stuck to one because a know. lot of keyboard cases probably cost is you're buying a keyboard right like in your case the there is no keyboard that is the magic right. keyboard right so that allows you to have a lower price point. price point right? yeah and many people have a magic keyboard lying around or mm-hmm. they can get a cheaper one off, say, even eBay, yeah. right? It just brings the price point down, and you have it, so why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my target market is you know pretty well-defined. I'm seeing a lot of interest, even on my current Kickstarter, from people like saying, I've been waiting for something like this for a long time. Very cool. And that brings up the question, who is this not for? Yeah, speaking of the trade-off, so you know, the Magic Keyboard was made for a desktop, primarily, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, you know, kudos to Apple. They really still made it super thin and light. But comparison to, say, Apple's, keyboard it's still a bit heavier sure it's bluetooth it doesn't use the smart connector Mm -hmm. right and so it's not for the people who would say thin in portability matter to me above all else yeah right because it is a little bit heavier Mm -hmm. right of course you get the 
additional features, but it all comes at that design trade-off. Yeah. I'd say if you want to have a keyboard with you all the time and you don't mind some of the drawbacks of Apple's solution, but really, really need it to be as light as possible, then go with that. Yeah. Because that, I think, will serve you better. And it's important that if everyone has the right keyboard solution for them, right, Mm -hmm. or productivity solution for them, then that means iPad productivity on the whole increases. And if that increases, then the market increases. And if that increases, then Apple's attention and other accessory makers' attention on the iPad also increases. Right. So that's why I want everyone to have the best solution for them. And I'm not in the business of trying to convince someone to do something that may not actually be you know, good for them in the long run. Yeah. So taking the iPad in and out of the frame, is that something that you see people able to do with the frame holding up or what do you Yeah, there? so that was a concern from mm-hmm. of mine because I thought like you know it's it's gone the frame has gotten pretty thin with with the iPad. Yeah. And you know you have to bend it a little bit to pop it out. Mm-hmm. I've been shown and reassured by my manufacturers that uh, the resin that they're using to make the actual shell is very forgiving. Yeah. It can withstand a lot of like putting in and putting out and indeed you know the time i've had the case and you know other people that have used it in the time have not uttered one complaint about yeah. that they've also told me that this is the same shell type of shell you know uh, material that again other ipad case manufacturers use yeah and it certainly helps having the very top wide open yeah so you, you can use that uh, right to prop it out yeah you can you can pop it out and also there's you'll notice at the bottom there's these little for the where the connector is for the keyboard is if you put one thumb on that corner yeah and put it on the opposite end it actually makes it very easy to pop okay out compared to just a, a you know the other ipad case that don't really give you much of a thing to hold on to yeah now what's your background with you've mentioned uh Back with the original iPad, you were designing cases for that. Yeah. Are you working in CAD or how are you actually designing this to get this to manufacturers yeah. and working with them? What's that process all like? It's so different than what I'm used to because as a user interface designer, I'm so used to just seeing something in my head, going to Photoshop or Sketch or you know Adobe XD and just like manifesting it. Yeah. And being done, right? <laughs> you could just it's, it's literally <laughs> yeah, it's, it's digital goods. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's so it's such a wonderful feeling. But now when you transition to the hardware world, you're limited. You you need specialized tools. You need specialized materials, not to mention super specialized expertise. Yeah. And you know, experience like oh no, that'll work, that won't work. There's something called design for manufacturing. Like, yeah, sure, you have a great idea, but can it be manufactured at scale at cost? Right. A prototype's different from a final product. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So that has been a, a struggle for me when I wanted to make the transition because I had to rely on others more and others where I didn't have connections beforehand. So I was kind of, you know, cold calling out into the internet and, you know, maybe through my naivete and, you know, being trusting, you know, would would learn some lessons the hard way. So, for example, one lesson is if a company says they're a trading company, that means that they are not the manufacturer, that they are middleman for the manufacturer. And their job is to mark up as much as possible and deliver you the least as possible so they have the highest return. Right. And that's, in fact, what happened to me with my first generation iPad case. I had specced out for a very high-grade Napa leather, very smooth, to yeah. touch, very soft, almost lambskin type of feel. And they sent me a sample with it, and I said, yes, I approved this. But when it came down to production, the leather they sent me was very different. <laughs> it was rough. 
it almost looked like it had been it was gray and they had just painted it you know yeah black with a brush stroke right and yeah so i had to like dis- severely discount a lot of those that was one one experience then another experience was looking for red flags to see if the manufacturer you're dealing with is really invested in the project or they're just after it just to humor you or to, you know to get their development costs mm-hmm. so one time when i was developing the case I went out to China and, you know, we said, okay, yeah, this is the prototype. Great. I said, based on this, what's the price? They said, well, we've checked with our partners and it's X amount. I said, oh, great. Okay. I I can budget for that. Yeah. So then the new iPad Pro came out, like I think the 9.7 at the time or maybe the 10.5. And I said, all right, let me go to China one more time and just, you know, update it Mm -hmm. for this new size. So I go out a few months later and as soon as I land... And I go and I have my first meeting. First of all, the project manager's not there. He's AWOL. The engineer says, oh, did they tell you? And I said, no. I said, yeah, shortly after you left, we double confirmed the quote. And it's actually three times more expensive. And I was furious because they knew it, but they didn't bother to tell me before I flew out. Yeah. And looking back, I could see the red flags. I could see the lack of communication, the lack of interest. If, if they're not even getting the design, then it, it tells you that, yeah, there's something there. They're just biding their time. Uh, but I was also blessed to have those experiences because when you you know when you find the right one, right? Yeah. Because it's like a breath of fresh air. Right. The manufacturers I'm working with now, in addition to creating cases for top name brands, they're also personally invested in the success, I feel. Mm-hmm. They'll get more orders. They get more orders, right. They will you know, actively look at the Kickstarter campaign and say, great, we've crossed 800 backers. This is so wonderful. You know, the, Every step of the way, I will share mm-hmm. with them what's going on. And they, they feel like they're part of the journey as well. And that's what you want. Right? Yeah. So yeah, so the process, to answer your question, has been a, a bit of a learning curve. I'm in a pretty good spot right now, I feel. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to the future because, I mean, I may have just done this case, but the best thing is when you can give a creative person an outlet. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing you can do. Like if somebody, so now I have all these ideas that I had placed on the back burner, I can now think about it, right? There's a possible solution for a unique type of, I'd say, let's say accessory for the iPad aimed at artists that I'm thinking of. Yeah. That's not in the market now. You know, because, you know, Photoshop is coming to the iPad and there's going to be more of more artists will be using as their workstation. Yeah. So I said, you know, there's other ideas out there. So I'm exploring that and other accessories. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what's next. Yeah. So I want to dive a little bit into Kickstarter for those that want to make their own Kickstarter. Yeah. They have an idea. Yeah. What's that process like? I want to start. Uh, with the video. Videos are key to right. success, right? And yeah. What was your process for making that? So the video, I had a choice, right? And everybody has the same choice, mm-hmm. is you can either pay someone else to do it yep, or do it yourself. Yeah. Being a geek, I guess, it's very hard for me to turn down the opportunity to the ex- for the excuse to buy more stuff. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I said, okay, so say I would have spent X amount of money on a, on a firm, yeah. right? They would have done the video, but I wouldn't keep any of their sure. cool equipment, yeah. right? But if I keep that same budget, I can, you can just you know get it myself and say you know try try learning it myself. Yeah, you know why not? Then mm-hmm. I have it. And what's neat about Kickstarter is that it's okay to be unpolished. In fact, it's an asset, right? Because it allows people to connect with you, you know, mm-hmm. as the cr- individual creator. Yeah. So if they see something that's a little bit rough around the edges or it could have been done better, it's, it's actually a bit endearing. Yeah. So I had that going for me. Then when it came down to actually saying like, what type of video I wanted to produce, I said, I thought to myself that what 
videos out there, either within Kickstarter or outside Kickstarter, do I hold up as like, yeah, that's a good video. And fortunately, again, it's not a surprise, Apple had come out with an amazing video introducing the iPad Pros. It was narrated by Phil Schiller. Yeah. And what I loved about it was the just the, the script and how every idea just naturally phased into the other. Yeah. And it just felt like a conversation. But yet it was engaging because every two seconds there was a new frame on screen. So by the time the video is over, you're like, oh, it's already done. And that's like a two and a half minute video. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, it all starts with the script. It's not just the production quality. It's like the messaging. And when it comes down to creating a script, there's no other thing you can buy on Amazon or, or Apple that is going to make it better because the machinery we all have, it's our brain, it's our yeah. mind, right? Sure, there's different levels of experience, but you can feel then if something is right, similar or not similar. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I deconstructed their video. I wrote out all of their text, you know, so I could kind of feel the mind of the copywriter as they wrote out the text. I downloaded the video. I put into Final Cut. I actually recreated the cuts. I, I you know, I made the made the little clips a transition so I could yeah. see all right, so this is a close-in shot. Okay, this is a, a wide shot. Okay, they're, they're transitioning about every two seconds. Mm. And I said, those are my targets. Yeah. Did the script writing. And after you go through that, you fully imbibe the, the creator's mind. Yeah. And once you're in that flow state, then you create what you want to create. Mm -hmm. So I created the script. And it just naturally flowed as if Phil Schiller kept on talking and said, and this is the touch type case. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so that was my idea. Yeah. And that's your office where you're yeah. standing and speaking That's my to office, the like my yeah. basement office, actually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people say, you know, we did this in-house. Well, in my case, I literally did it in my house. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. you'll notice, it's just me. I'm the model, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes on my sofa in the living room, sometimes on the dining room, sometimes the lights are on, sometimes the lights are off. Yeah. And that was actually a bit of a challenge. I mean, I wanted that. I mean, sometimes I thought, okay, maybe I should do it something outside the house. Like, no, I wanted to be able to say I did it you know, all at right. my house because it'd just be cool. You know, how often do yeah. you get a chance to do that? So you mentioned gear. What kind of gear did you? Get? Yeah. So I got the Sony uh, A7 III for the okay. camera. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic camera for uh, video blogging. Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen. It's full frame. At the same time, it's a fantastic camera. Yeah. So I built everything around that. Okay. Then I actually invested in lighting. Mm -hmm. Many people feel they can just, you know, cheap out on lights. You know, you can just, okay, just get a few lights here and there. Yeah. And yeah, you can, right? But if you can get a very nice color accurate light with a wide dome. In my case, I got the Aperture Light Dome 2, which, which softens the shadows and makes things look less harsh. And it's very color accurate so that you can dial it into Final Cut Pro or your camera so that yeah. everything's beautifully balanced. That just paid so many returns on the dividends. Other things I got were robotic sliders, right? Because mm -hmm. part of cinematic movie making is motion. Yeah. And so I picked up, I think it was, it's on Amazon. It was cheap. It was like maybe $600. I mean, re relatively speaking cheap. Yeah. GVM, great video maker, I think. So they had this robotic slider where you can program, okay, I want it to go from here to here at this pace. So the camera's moving. The camera's just moving. And okay. It, and it, you can set it up so it, the camera also rotates while it moves. Mm. So you just set it on go, let it just keep moving. It has a remote control as well. And you just keep doing take after take after take. Yeah. And then within that take, you pull it in. Surely you would have caught something. Right. And you only need two seconds of it anyway. Sure. Yeah. So I used that. Had a gimbal as well, which was handy for some shots. Yeah. Just got creative, you know, yeah. got a backdrop, got a light box and tried to, again, f like the iPad case, I tried to focus on, on items that were versatile. 
just like the, the camera, right? I mean, I could have gone got a separate camera for video and a separate camera for photo. I was like, no, what's the best camera that can do both? Yeah. You know, or the lighting and stuff. Like, where's the most versatile that'll give me the most bang for the buck? Right. Any other Kickstarter tips for doing that successfully? It's very essential that you have an audience before you get to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Because Kickstarter is a very different place from when I last did my first campaign in 2012. Yeah. You're competing with with many more active campaigns and you'll very quickly get buried if you don't have a base. Yeah. So I'd recommend as much as you can, try to create a prototype, try to reach out to even, you know, press. Like, they might be interested, if not covering the case, at least say, hey, are you going on the right track? Yeah. Then once you have that, create a landing page where mm-hmm. you can show off some of your ideas. In my case, I said, do you want to know the second it gets launched and grab the, you know, early bird 50% discounts that I had? Well, yeah. Give me your email address. Right. You get people who are actively involved, and on that day one, you validate your product, and you'll have a good... Uh, a good first day pull. Yeah, and your landing page, it's very professional. And the logo, is that something you made back in 2012 or is that a newer one? Okay. It is. Yeah, the logo is interesting. So if you, uh, for those you know who can't see, the logo is like a square and it has all, it's like these alternating black and white lines. Yeah. But if you look closely, it's actually the letter T. I noticed that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the letter T obviously coming from the alliteration of touch type. Yeah. But it's, it's a square and it's symmetrical both horizontally and vertically because I knew that if I was putting on an iPad, the iPad itself would often be shown in different, you know, on a case, mm-hmm. it would be shown in different orientations. Sure. Yeah. And I wanted it to, just like the iPad, you you never know which, there's no wrong way to hold it. Yeah. I wanted the same for the logo. Okay. You know, to, kind of, to kind of be a homage to, yeah. to to the design philosophy of the of the iPad itself. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So the Kickstarter's got another day or so left yep. in it. And then what's the next steps for you after the Kickstarter's over? Yeah. So what's typical now is after Kickstarter ends is then you transition to Indiegogo, something called Indiegogo In Demand. Yeah. Where you can continue to raise funds. There's still some a bit of a discount. Mm-hmm. You can continue to you know generate interest. And as you go to manufacture. And typically, it's after people, once people collect the funds, that they start the manufacturing process. They go to China or wherever and yeah. start making and posting updates. In my case, I'm very careful in the deadlines I give. I know like, I gave an August delivery deadline, which you know many people have told me is very aggressive. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to prove them wrong. So I've actually started the golden sample process. What that means is I've given, based on the feedback from reviewers, I've made whatever small improvements I could make. For example, mm-hmm. uh, some people said, you know what, the magnets could be stronger yeah. uh, between the keyboard and the iPad case, so I've made them stronger. I yeah. the strongest that is available in China. <laughs> now they're preparing the golden sample. So in a few days, it'll be shipped to me. I will review it. Hopefully, if all looks good, then I'll provide sign-off, and they will start you know, tooling yeah. and you know, ready to go. So yeah, so manufacturing, and then hopefully you know, by August, all these backers will have a, a touch type in their hand and they'll be it'll exceed their expectations. Yeah, awesome. And have you thought what would be the process like to get in a Best Buy or something like that? Yeah, so I've actually asked about this. To getting in a Best Buy, there's two routes. Mm-hmm. One is you can, you know, try to get connected to a Best Buy buyer, right? Yeah. Maybe through LinkedIn or, you know, some other method. But a more easier approach is to approach one of Best Buy's distributors. Okay. Because they're always meeting with Best Buy and showing new products. So it's their best interest to try to introduce another product to them. But it's very difficult from my understanding to just 
go directly to a large retailer because they typically work on what's called consignment, mm-hmm. which means that they'll make a huge order and you have to front the money for that order. And yeah. and then you see the money like down the road. So right. if you don't have much cash flow, it's very difficult to float. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of time to get more established, get some solid reviews on Amazon and here, mm-hmm. and, you know, address, you know, you know, concerns. And then once I'm in a good position, then maybe approach the larger retailers. Yeah. What's your uh, experience with iPad and your workflow? How does it play a part in your work? Yeah. So as you, I mentioned before, I'm primarily an artist. Mm-hmm. So I use the the iPad for you know coming up with logo iterations, for example, yeah. or a storyboard. I love the new Apple Pencil for yeah. that reason. I what are your favorite apps for uh, that Procreate work? is my favorite. Yeah. You know, it's it's I'm able to go in there. I get my layers. I get my transparency. It feels very Photoshop-like in yeah. certain, certain respects. Um, so I use. I also use uh, Linea mm-hmm. for you know quickly jotting down you know ideas and something that maybe I'm just want to con- you know conceptualize something. Sure. Uh, and not create like a finished product as as I would use for. And they've got great templates for icons, for instance. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you know you can make anything. You know there. It's just like just treat it like paper. Yeah. And I actually like the constraints it gives you. So mm-hmm. you're not gonna, you know, you're like, oh, should I do this with that? Should I do th- this effect? You're like, no, just treat it like paper, and you'll you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and do you gravitate towards the larger one or the 11 inch or what's yeah, your? Yeah, I'm I'm more partial to the larger one now. Yeah. Um, before I wasn't because the bezels, I, the size, yeah. the bezels, yeah. right? But now that it's the same size as the keyboard, and you know, for drawing, you want all the space you can get. Yeah. You know, and as part of my job, I you know I treat it as a business expense having to buy every single iPad that comes out. <laughs> right. You know, so I might as well just go with, yeah. <laughs> with, with you know, I can take take my pick. I guess whatever I feel like on the day. But yeah, I, I gravitate to the to the larger one. Yeah, very cool. And anything else you want to share about the touch type or anything else? I think we covered everything, most everything. What I do want to say is, you know, uh, to the backers of the people who choose to get a touch type pro either now or, you know, down the line, is that I'm very open to feedback. This is a constant journey. I, I'm t- I want to... Do like Apple and, you know, really try to improve and iterate the product generation over generation. And this is just my toe in the water, if you will. Yeah. And if there are certain things, you know, you'd like to see or some things that can be improved or even things that you love, you know, so I know what to keep doing. You know, you can easily email me to my website, touchtypecase.com and or, you know, reach me on Twitter. And yeah, I'd love to just develop a you know a relationship in that regard. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really great you know, chatting about this. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of iPad Pros. You can find the show notes over at iPadPros.net. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast.gmail.com. If you email a voice memo, I'd be happy to include your audio in a future episode. I'm on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. And as mentioned at the top of the show, If you haven't had a chance to review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Every review helps send signals to promote the podcast more in search and helps other people discover the show. Thank you for your time and attention today. Talk to everyone again real soon.